If you'd like a title for the sermon today, it's this, Overcoming the Spirit of Satan. Overcoming the Spirit of Satan. The Day of Atonement symbolizes the time after Christ's return when Satan the devil, the god of this age, will be restrained. God will then begin to offer reconciliation to all humanity through access to his Holy Spirit. Now, currently, God has only offered or granted a select few access to his Holy Spirit, the first fruits of his plan of salvation. And we've been called upon now to reject this world and to reject the spirit of Satan that dominates this age. But if we already have received God's spirit, those of us who are baptized, and our names have been written in the book of life, why do we need to afflict our souls today through fasting? Why do we need to rehearse year after year on this day the need to draw close to God? Well, today I'd like to examine with you the new covenant necessity for the Day of Atonement. We'll see that overcoming the spirit of Satan is an ongoing daily struggle. It's not just a one-time event that happens at baptism. Overcoming the spirit of Satan requires that we actively engage in four habits of the Christian life. Four habits of the Christian life. And those four habits I'll list up front and then we'll cover them in detail a little bit. So the first one, we must practice obedience to God's word. We must practice obedience to God's word. Secondly, we must pursue righteousness. We must pursue righteousness. Third, we must demonstrate humility. We must demonstrate humility. And fourth, we must embrace God's deliverance through Christ's sacrifice. We must embrace God's deliverance through Christ's sacrifice. Let's begin by going to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2. Because before we get into those four points or those four habits of the Christian life, we need to identify just what is the spirit of Satan. And here we see the Apostle Paul identifies Satan as the spiritual power who inspires the world's disobedience to God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." So we are here today because God has called us and we have made the choice to accept that calling, to walk according to God's ways and not according to the ways of this world. We've chosen to tune out 
the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, and to focus on God's wavelength, on God's Holy Spirit. But being God's people and having God's spirit does not make us immune to Satan's tactics. We are not immune to his ongoing influence. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians 11. Because here we see, again, the Apostle Paul is warning that Christians need to be on guard against yielding to a spirit of corruption. A spirit of corruption. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, Paul writes, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And we see the same warning in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The spirit of Satan seeks to deceive and destroy God's servants. Here in 1 Timothy 4, we'll only read verse 1 here. Now the spirit, meaning God's spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So we know that Satan is not alone in the spirit world as an adversary of God. He's taken with him, we see in other places, a third of the angels followed Satan's spirit and practice or exhibit that spirit today. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Because here we see a cautionary story about two followers of Christ, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, outwardly, this couple accepted Christ. And by all measures, they were probably seen as upstanding examples in this Christian community. But they had allowed another spirit into their hearts, which warred against the spirit of God. And God decided he needed to act upon that. Here in Acts 5, verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. So they're raising money to give to the church. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. So they'd apparently discussed this in advance. And they brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? Right? If, if that's all they'd intended to give and they told everybody we're giving such and such amount, 
certain percent of the sale of the land, it would have been fine. But they apparently lied about it and said, we're giving all the money, but secretly they kept some back. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? So why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And you notice it states what Peter says is that Satan filled his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. That's a different spirit working in his heart. A short time later, we know that his wife was also struck down when she was confronted with the lie because they had allowed the spirit of Satan back into their minds, even though they were professing followers of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Old Testament for a few minutes here to 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21. We'll look at verses 1 through 3. This is about David. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. And we know that David had, grant, had been granted a portion of God's Holy Spirit. Yet there were times when David was not close enough to God, was not at one with his creator. And he allowed the spirit of Satan to jeopardize his relationship with God. We see here in verse 1, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, they'd, Israel had previously been told that they shouldn't take a census to number Israel, right? Because kings number their people when they want to feel good about raising armies and increasing their power and going to war. And that's not the route God wanted Israel to take. They, God wanted Israel to trust in him for victory, for success. But David decided he was going to do it anyway. And as the verse said, Satan was involved in moving his heart to do so. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, get the whole, th the whole place. Bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? And why does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? And since he's the leader of Israel, this guilt is going to affect the entire nation. This is not just going to affect David himself. And likewise, today in the church, sins that may be committed by members of the church can affect the entire family in the church, not just the person committing that sin. God had to then intervene and send a plague on Israel to get David's attention, to move him to repentance. Centuries later, Satan was so arrogant 
that he even thought he could thwart God's plan of salvation by compromising Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Let's look at that in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Because this is the scene where Satan comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness after Jesus was fasting not just for one day, but for 40 days. Not recommended, by the way. I'd like to read this passage because I think we can see from Satan's words and from his actions what the spirit of Satan is all about. His character is revealed in his interrogation of Jesus here. So Luke 4, verse 1, And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and filled means all the way, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So this is something God the Father was allowing Jesus to face. And notice verse 2, Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now, I'd like you to notice, because this point is actually easy to miss. There's a tendency to think that Jesus fasted for 40 days and then was tempted by Satan. But notice what verse 2 says. He was tempted for 40 days by the devil. It wasn't just at the end. Satan had been actively trying to tempt Jesus to sin throughout the period he was fasting. Now he just doubles down and gets very serious as he gets to the end of that time. Luke 4, verse 3, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, that's a command. That's an order. Satan is telling Jesus what to do. Command this stone to be made bread. There seems to be no element of respect here shown by Satan toward Jesus. And in fact, Satan casts doubt as to whether Jesus really is the Son of God after all. Now, Satan likes giving orders, and he seems to be delighting in this opportunity to boss around his own creator, because that's who Jesus was, the word of God come in the flesh. Verse 4, but Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. So Jesus does not fall for Satan's strategy, the lure of food, right? Physical need, physical comfort. Even after fasting for over a month, it is not enough to cause Jesus to submit to Satan's tricks. Verse five, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
And the devil said to him, all this authority, and the word means power, all this power I will give to you and their glory. I'll give that glory. I'll give that glory to you. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Right? The, the kingdoms of the world are under Satan's jurisdiction because he's the God of this world now. And then verse 7, why make such an offer to Jesus? I'll give it to you all now. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. You just have to worship me, Jesus. I'll be your God. Now here we see that Satan is motivated by the love of power. And he thinks Jesus will be also. He's motivated by having authority and being important. And he thinks Jesus will be also. And as, as I said, we also see that God has permitted Satan at this time to hold that authority over the governments of this world. Satan offers Jesus the opportunity to rule the world immediately if only he would worship him. He could become the ruler of the whole world under Satan's guidance. He would not have to suffer and die. He would not have to wait for many centuries to rule the world from Jerusalem. And of course, he would not become our savior. Verse eight, and Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, move aside. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now that's a very interesting statement because it could be read generally, like no one should worship anyone except God, but he's looking right at Satan the creator saying to the created, you shall only worship your God. Nothing else. Jesus calls out Satan as a false God. Satan desperately wants to be worshiped as a God. And Jesus denies him that esteem. Jesus reminds him there is only one God worthy of worship. Verse 9. Satan's not done. All right. We'll go for the, the third trance here. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, again, if you are who you say you are, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Jump off. For it is written, where is it written? In scriptures. For it is written, you can imagine Satan pulling out his Bible scroll. Look, see here. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan's gotten religion. 
He's quoting scripture and then dares Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple to prove he's really the son of God. If so, right, Jesus, if you are, and you say you are, so let's assume you're right, then it's not a problem, right? If you are, then the angels will come and save you and it'll all be fine. But he wants Jesus to follow his orders. Verse 12, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, these three and the ones from the previous 40 days, he departed from him until an opportune time. All right, <laughs> I'm going to take a recess, but I'll be back. If I see there's a chance, I'm going to take it and derail the plan of salvation. Let's go to Isaiah 14, because we have a little backstory on Satan the devil. Isaiah 14, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 here. Because here we see what's really a lamentation. It's a phrase of sorrow that follows. God is sorrowing over what happened to Lucifer or Satan as a result of his rebellion against God's authority. And we get a little sense of what happened in the distant past. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, and these are familiar scriptures to those who've been in the Church of God community for some time, but it's good to review them on this day. Isaiah 14, verse 12, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And stars of God is a reference to the angels, right? He's going to put his authority over all the angels. Well, whose job is that? That's God's job. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I'm going to be like God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? See, that time is still coming. After Jesus Christ's return, he'll address Satan as the father of lies, as the father of sin. And he'll have to pay, as we heard in the sermonette. He'll have to pay for that. He's the one who kept the world prisoner and would not release them. The spirit of Satan is manifested in the act of rebellion against God's authority. 
we see a little bit more of that story here in Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, and we'll look at verses 11 to 17 here. Because here we see a prophecy of someone referred to as the king of Tyre. Now, Tyre was a prosperous Phoenician city north of Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean. But here, after giving a prophecy against the prince of Tyre, the actual human king, Ezekiel goes on to give a prophecy against the king of Tyre, the power behind the prince. And by the wording of this passage, it's, it's clear we can't be talking about a human being here. In fact, he refers to this person as an angel. We're talking about Satan here. Verse 11 of Ezekiel 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. So this is another expression of sorrow. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, who was in Eden? Well, there was God, there was Adam, there was Eve, and there was the serpent. So we have a limited pool of suspects, right? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. It goes into all of this workmanship, right? He was a beautiful being. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So this is a created being. You were the anointed cherub who covers. A cherub is an angel. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you, until you sinned. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing, a corrupted thing, out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So again, that's a reference of the time to come with this day pictures. Satan has been in opposition to God since the foundation of this world. He had been placed by God in a position of authority over the earth, but then succumbed to pride and to arrogance. He thought he would make better decisions than God. He thought he would be a better God than God. And he led a rebellion against his creator, against the Father and the word of God. Because the spirit of Satan is founded on rebellion. It's a spirit of arrogance. It's a spirit that values pride, that fosters disrespect for God's authority, and that is advanced through deception. So how then do we as Christians make certain 
that we will continue to overcome this spirit of Satan as we await Christ's return. So we have the four points here. And the first one, we must practice obedience to God's word. The way to combat deception is to be fully grounded in the word of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's go to Luke 6 and verse 45. Luke 6, we'll look at verses 45 to 49, because here we see the contrast between the fruits of the spirits. There's the spirit of God and its fruit, and there's the spirit of Satan and its fruit or its consequences. Luke 6, 45. These are the words of Jesus. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. I'm sorry, I missed a part. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus says, whoever comes to him hears his sayings and does them. Let's go to John 8, John chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 31. It's a bit of a passage here, it's a bit long, but we're going to tackle it because there's several important points that arise here. Because being firmly grounded in the truth of the Holy Scriptures is an effective defense against the spirit of Satan. John 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Right? They have the experience of the world to draw upon. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God, right? They're probably referring to, you know, where did Jesus come from, right? Who was Jesus's father? Um, did Mary give birth to Jesus before the marriage had been consummated? Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have, my, have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. They did not have the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. You are of your father, the devil. See, they're of a different spirit. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, that, he's come a long way from being created perfect to having no truth at all in his character. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. Let's also look at 1 John 5. 1 John 5, verses 1 through 4. See, not only do God's people hear his word, they also do it. 1 John 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. This is it. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You notice there's two parts to that. It's not only obedience. It's the desire to obey. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So the second point, to overcome the spirit of Satan, we must pursue righteousness. We must pursue righteousness. Let's turn to 1 John 3, and we'll look at verses 10 through 12. 1 John 3, and we'll start here in verse 10. This theme, of course, is persistent throughout the scriptures, and you could give many sermons just on this topic alone. Verse 10, 
In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. So in other words, there's two groups. The children of God follow the spirit of God and the children of the devil manifest the spirit of Satan. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, right, who was of that spirit of Satan, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. The spirit of Satan envies the righteous because Satan knows what our reward will be to become a part of the God family. Satan can never achieve that. He tried it by force and the scriptures indicate he may yet try again before the end but he won't attain it. He can't seize what we've been offered as a free gift. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. And we'll start in verse 17. Again, this is Paul writing here. And he's writing about the spirit that should be shaping our minds. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or in other words, embrace a new spirit with your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. There are times to be angry. Don't let it lead you to sin. Don't open up that other portal to a different spirit. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. See, David left an opening and allowed Satan to harm Israel through him. We as Christians are also vulnerable. We can't allow openings. We can't allow spaces in the armor that God gives us. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, if you ever wanted a list of the fruit of the spirit of Satan, here it is. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. After sunset tonight, turn on the news. Is this still Satan's world? Absolutely. But for us, for those who follow a different spirit, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's go to 1 John 5. 1 John 5, and we'll look at verses 18 to 20. 1 John 5 and verse 18. Of course, we know that we have been invited to become a part of God's very family. 1 John 5, 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. The third point. To overcome the spirit of Satan, we must demonstrate humility. We must demonstrate humility. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. As we've seen, Satan does not possess this character trait, the spirit of humility. But God's servants must demonstrate it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Again, Paul writing here, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. You remember Satan can do that? He can quote scripture deceitfully but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It's not their time yet. They're not ready to learn the truth, because they can't handle the truth. 
for we do not preach ourselves. We, right, the ministers of Jesus Christ, he's saying, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Satan does not present himself as a servant. He wants to be obeyed. Verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We've been given a great gift, but we are not to boast against those who haven't been called yet. God has a plan for them. Their time is ahead, and the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day will picture their opportunities. Let's go to 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. 1 Peter 5, look at verses 5 through 9. So it's not just Paul who emphasizes the theme of humility. Peter writes here, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking an opportune time. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. This is a common test for all of Christ's followers. Let's go to James 4. James 4. We'll look at verses 6 through 10. James 4, verses 6 through 10. But he, God, gives more grace... Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this is James writing, using the same passage. Verse 7, James 4. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we're doing that today, aren't we? We're humbling ourselves under the power and majesty of our creator. We're obeying his command to serve him on this day. And point four, then, 
To overcome the spirit of Satan, we must embrace God's deliverance through Christ's sacrifice. We must embrace God's deliverance through Christ's sacrifice. And we heard the background to that very nicely presented in the sermonette today by Mr. Hewitt. We cannot overcome the spirit of Satan on our own. To do so, we must be repentant. We must accept Christ's sacrifice to cleanse us of our sins. We must be baptized. We must receive the Holy Spirit, and we must allow that spirit to work in our lives. Let's look at John 16. John 16. We'll start here in verse 25. So again, this is Jesus speaking, John 16, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, now has come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It's Christ who does the overcoming. It's through the Spirit of God that we can share in that victory. The world is now governed by the spirit of Satan, and that results in chaos and violence and tribulation. And that tribulation will grow only worse and worse. Only through Christ can we attain peace. Because Jesus Christ resisted all of Satan's temptations. He never fell for any of the deceptions. He never yielded to the spirit of Satan. Let's go to John 12. And we'll look at verses 31 and 32. John 12. So we heard in the sermonette, Jesus Christ took on himself the penalty for our sins. And not ours only, but ultimately the sins of all humanity. So that we and they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life. In doing so, he initiated the events that would lead to the end of Satan's rule over this world. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, referring to his crucifixion and then his ascension into heaven, if I am lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all peoples to myself. Let's go finally to John 14. John 14. We'll start in verse 28. Because it's by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, not by our own power or our own efforts, that we can overcome the spirit of Satan. John 14, starting here in verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Not one bit of the spirit of Satan is in Jesus Christ. He is full of the Holy Spirit of God. So as we've seen today, overcoming the spirit of Satan is an ongoing daily struggle for Christians. It's not just a one-time event that happens at baptism. Overcoming the spirit of Satan requires that we actively engage in the four habits of the Christian life, practicing obedience to God's word, pursuing righteousness, demonstrating humility, and embracing God's deliverance through Christ's sacrifice. On this day of atonement, we fast and we pray, approaching God with praise, and we even had some marvelous praise today with the offertory music and the special music. I'm sure God is so pleased by congregations all around the world to hear us praising his name and all that he has done for us. We focus our thoughts with praise and humility on God's righteousness and not on the things of this world or of this world's current ruler. We rejoice in what Christ's sacrifice has done for us and look forward to when the rest of humanity can know Jesus Christ as we do and learn about God the Father and be freed from Satan's sway to know God the Father and God the Son as God intended.